Hey, so let's do this. Um, we're going to work today. We're on week two of the heart of anger in this series and really want to do this. Uh, and then we'll get into a New Testament uh, series, but wanted to discuss this emotion, the nuances of it. And so last week we really tried to look Father's Day at this, the idea of what it looks means to provoke a child to anger, uh, to discourage a child and kind of felt, fit that in the series. Today, if you're looking for a title for today's message, it's the cause of anger and how to discern righteous from unrighteous anger. The cause of anger and how to discern righteous from unrighteous anger. That's our title today. And we're mainly going to be settling down in the text of James. But we'll do some flipping around since this is a topical message. But first I want to do this. I want you to take your Bible, go over to Ephesians chapter 4. I've pointed this out before and then I'll point it out again. If you want to kind of know from an outward perspective, um, a, a clear way to go is the anger that I'm feeling right now. Is it righteous or unrighteous? I point you back to Ephesians 4.31 that gives you clear lines of understanding of what unrighteous anger looks like. By the way, you can't have righteous anger. There is a such thing as righteous anger. Righteous anger, I tell people, is when you're angry about something done to God or and addition somebody else and we have a righteous response. That's righteous anger, right? There's such thing as righteous anger. Now, rarely do we have it. Most of the time when it's talked about in the scripture, is it rarely seen? Do we see examples in Jesus' life? We do. We're going to look more at depth in those next week. But just from an outside perspective, you need to know a little bit about the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger before we talk about the cause of anger. But we see in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness. That means you can't even stand the person. You can't, if you can't stand to see the person. If you're married and you're sleeping in separate bedrooms, if you're if you're at work and you avoid this person, you screen their calls. Guess what? You probably got bitterness towards them. Right. If you're constantly replaying what they've done to you, that's a manifestation of sinful anger. Then it says anger and wrath. It does a comparison of anger here in verse 31 would have this idea of the icy cold. You may not be saying things to them. But you are ignoring them. You're minimizing them. You're trying to kill them with silence. Then you have wrath. That's where you're exploding and shouting and slander. That word slander is from the word blasphemy. You are speaking all sorts of evil, malicious things against them. All these have to be put away with, along with all malice. That's just if you just want to know, do I have sinful anger? That can easy diagnostic. Verse 31, God's word. By the way, just as a side note, you'll see this several times. If you want to know what should I do in response in that moment, the thought is, I was only angry because they made me angry, right? And if they would stop acting like they're acting, then I'll be okay. Actually, verse 32 is what we got to do. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. How do you solve Sinful anger, you do verse 32. You put off verse 31, God renews and changes your heart. And we see in verse 26 of this chapter. And then you do verse 32. Yes, verse 32 is obedience. Yes, if we're ever feeling the emotion of sinful anger. And we want to know like, what should I do in the moment? You do verse 32. Kindness to them. Kindness. Then tenderheartedness, you're trying to understand where they're coming from. 
what's happening in their day. And then we forgive as Christ forgave. People say that the saying sometimes, I'm not ready to forgive yet. Well, Christ was ready a long time ago after he became your atonement. So what excuses do we have? There's no such thing for us as Christians, I'm not ready to forgive. Is, is Jesus for, if Jesus has forgiven us, then we're ready to forgive. So that's a little bit about it, but let's keep looking a little bit more. I've told people, when it comes to anger, now you can go over to James in your Bible, James. So that's just a little bit way to know. Now, once again, and we're going to look at this more with examples next week in Jesus' life, but I do want, want to point out to you that 31, that's how you can really know manifestations of sinful anger. But I also want to, just so you know, when you're angry, here's a question I ask myself. When I'm feeling the feelings of anger, I ask myself, am I angry about something done to God and somebody else, or am I angry about something done to me? Right? Now, Here's what happens in my own soul. This is pastoral for, you know, this is how I try to shepherd my own soul. When I start to feel anger, when I'm asking myself that question, if my response is myself, that's already a great opportunity to start repenting. If that is myself is the answer, I am going over to James chapter 1 and verse 14 through 15, and I'm going over to James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. That's with, when I feel the feelings of anger, and I'm saying, oh, and I ask myself, am I angry about something done to God or somebody else, or am I angry about something done to me? If the answer is me, running to James, right? This is what I do for my own heart care myself. So when we are angry about something done to God or somebody else, and we have a righteous response, that's what's called righteous anger. We're going to look at that more next week in depth. But this week I want to focus on this other side. What happens when we actually answer that question and come to the other side and, and we actually are able to go, wait a minute, this is me. This is a me thing. Like I, It's about me. What, what do I do? What does God's word say, say? Well, now it's time for us to explore the causes of anger. The causes. Before we get into James, I just want to kind of warn you. In our culture, especially our over-psychologized culture, the answer to anger is usually something like, well, it's these inner unconscious psychodynamic forces. Just so you know, in the scriptures, there's no such thing as the unconscious. It doesn't exist. That's Freud, that's Freud, an atheist invention, right? That's not true. Or there's things like we'll say, well, it, it was childhood trauma, or chronic bad nurturing by parents. Now listen, parents have an influence, but they are not determinative, right? So we, we do not negate that there's a such thing as post-traumatic stress, but we also promote the idea that there is called post-traumatic sanctification in the scripture, right? We see Joseph went through terrible trauma, right? But didn't Joseph come out on the other side because of his belief in God's sovereignty and his obedience to the Lord? He experienced post-traumatic sanctification, but some people would say, no, I'm actually angry because of something unconscious. It's, it's the unconscious part of me. Or some people would say, no, I'm angry because of childhood trauma. It's an influence, but not a determiner. I would say, no, that's not the cause of our anger, according to Scripture. Now, if you want to use other sources outside of Scripture, and you want to let the culture tell you, then yeah. Or some people would say, no, I'm angry. I have sinful anger. When the answer to the question is, why am I angry? And it's something done to me, and that's the answer. We'll say, well, it's because of my present sufferings or 
I'm not getting my emotional needs met by my network of either spouse or family or friends. Some will say, it's not me, it's Satan. Satan's the one that's done this. Now, I do want to tell you, when you read James 4, you're going to find that, that Satan does have a part. We don't want to give Satan too much credit, but we don't want to just negate and say that he's not around doing anything. We'll look at that here a little bit. But these are the culture's ideas about the cause of sinful anger. Some will say it's just simply satanic attack, and I would say that's very one-sided and not giving the full orb of Scripture. This is why I will continue to warn. Um, years ago, I went and got a degree in biblical counseling, and somehow I keep teaching it now. And somehow I'm teaching it at a, at a, you know, at a, at a graduate level. And I, you know, but years ago, I went and got this degree because I got tired of sending people in my church to counselors who would just fill their heads full of psycho babble, right? And they would come back not the better on the, on the backside. Until we started, I started going, I started realizing that if God's word is sufficient, that means it's also sufficient for counseling. As I would tell you, you should, man, if, when you get a time in life where you need counsel, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You should never, just like we don't have to apologize when we have emotions, we also don't have to apologize uh, that we need counsel. That's a good thing. But I will tell you, and hear me, and please hear me well, I would never, ever suggest to you to go to a counselor who does not believe that God's word is the final authority, does not believe that, God, that God's word is sufficient, and who does not believe that man's ultimate biggest problem is his own sin, and who does not believe that God's biggest solution is the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. If someone does not believe that, do not get their counsel. I'm just telling you, do not get their counsel. They will lead you down a bad path. Now, having said all that, let's take a look at James and we're going to see what he kind of talks about when it comes to the source of our sinful anger. By the way, I'm off my notes, which that's no shock. Can everybody show me a shock look? There's a couple things I did need to tell you, just so you're kind of aware of. I mean, I just want to jump to James. Um, I, you, already, you already know these scriptures. Don't, you don't have to turn to them, but I do want to just give you a couple of these because you all turned over to James. I don't know if you're going to have time. But when it comes to the cause of sinful anger, you always keep going back to the heart, right? So before we, as we're jumping into James 4, I do want to call to you, and you know these scriptures, you probably heard of it done, but just let me read them to you so you understand and know. For instance, you'll have this in Mark 15, uh, Matthew 15, but also, also Mark 7, similar passage says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, right? From our own heart. So it's not the unconscious. It's not the trauma. It's our own hearts. Now, there's a list of things, but it says in it murders, right? And if you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you see that Jesus equates murder of the heart as sinful anger. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For from his mouth speaks from an abundance of his heart. If you, we want to know what's in our heart, just listen to what we say. We want to know what's in our heart. Do we manifest Ephesians 4, 31 in the ways we live, act, and play around people? Matthew 5, 20, um, Matthew five twenty seven, not related 
to anger, but to adultery. But Jesus makes sure and understands that even when it comes to adultery, Jesus says, every man that looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. The heart's the issue. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's the heart. So if you want to look at, I'm angry. Am I angry about something done to God or somebody else? And, have, and do I have a righteous response? We're going to look at that more next week. But this week, if we end up going, no, I'm angry about something done to me. Like, man, you've done something to me. You've taken from me. You didn't give me what I deserve, right? Okay, now, let's see what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures describe that the, that thought of that self-exaltation, that comes from the heart. That comes from the sinful, wicked heart. So, James 4, now that you're in it, James 4. Let's read what James has to say. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? That word quarrels, it's the, when you look up, it's the idea of like wars. What's the source of wars and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You go to war. You have conflict. You fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself at as an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your Laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Go over to James chapter 1. And then look over at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, fully matured, brings forth death. Let me ask the Lord just for a a little grace as we go through these texts. We need your help. We really do need your help. Let us capture what you communicated to the original recipients. Let us make the jump for application. May we be able to, when the answer is the anger of the moment, it's about us. May we be able to look at the causes here. And we will get a, a greater heart temperature check. As we work in a life of faith and repentance. So help us. And God's people said, amen. So I have a, a phrase that I'll probably say a couple times here. The in, internal desires can cause conflict when those desires become God. Internal desires can cause conflict when those desires become God. Go back over to James chapter 4. What you find in verses 1 through 3 is this. That's the... Do you find the source of sinful anger in the heart? Now, remember, we already know that from the heart is where evil things proceed. From the heart, from the inner man. 
This worship aspect, we're to guard the heart. So from the heart, but, but then we're looking at this idea of what happens when the heart goes wrong? What's really going on in the inside? And what is going on in the inside in that heart is that the heart desires, the internal desires are pushing us towards conflict because we are wanting something. We are, that desire has become God now. What we want has become God. So when I ask the question myself, why am I angry right now? Am I angry about something done to God or somebody else or myself? And then myself is the answer. I'm instantly trying to look and evaluate and go, wait a minute. Have I made something God in my life? Have I made a way someone would talk to me or treat me or give to me or get some or some unmet expectation? Have I made that God? When you look at James 4, 1 through 3, this is what James is communicating to us, that we have made something an idol. We have made something God. Internal desires can cause conflict when those desires become God. Now, I'm not telling you, people say to me all the time, well, then we should just not desire anything. And I would go, that is not the way God has made us. You know, it's okay to, to, to desire time with your wife. It's so, K to desire time with your kids. It's okay to hope that you would be treated justly and right at work. It's okay that you would hope for justice. It's okay. Not all desires are bad desires, but desires, even when they're good ones, become bad when we make them God, right? Sometimes I describe the difference as an open hand and a closed fist, right? There's some things in life that we, we, we hold with an open hand. Of, I hope that I'm treated well. Um, I hope that that the relationships are godly towards me in my life. Uh, uh, there are these open-handed things, but the, these desires aren't bad. I desire to be loved. I desire to be appreciated. I desire to be recognized for the things I do in life. I desire that someone would actually say thank you, right? But it's when we put a fist around it and go, God, this or else. That's when I start to discover in my own heart, when I'm saying I'm angry and it's me, I'm starting to do some heart checks and wonder and go, wait a minute, is it actually, have I made this idea or thought a God in my life? This is what James is getting across in this idea. When internal desires start causing conflicts because those desires have become God's. Look at verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I'll break this down. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So he's talking about sinful anger. He's talking about the wars that happen. Why is this conflict happening among you? He says... Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, what's interesting, does everybody see that word pleasures? That pleasures, that, that's the word hedon, right? And that, that word uh, pleasures hedon, um, it's where we get the word hedonism. If you ever heard the word hedonism, it's this idea that you, what you do in life is just all for your own pleasure, right? That's what a hedonistic life, if you hear the, someone says, say, well, I'm a hedonist. Um, then what they're saying is all of life is basically live for my pleasure. That's what life is all about. That's a hedonist, right? But years ago, there was a guy named John Piper. Anybody ever heard of a guy named John Piper, right? He coined this phrase that really shocked everybody, but he said everybody ought to actually be a Christian hedonist, right? And, of course, people were kind of like, ooh, gross. Like, what is that, Christian hedonist? And what John Piper was trying to get across was a hedonist lives for their pleasure. Unrestrained, life is about their pleasure. John Piper had coined this phrase, Christian hedonism, where all of life is actually lived for God's pleasure, right? 
When we come to the text and he says, it's not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your soul. He's saying, you know what the problem is? The problem is you are living a hedonistic life. Life is lived for your pleasure. It's all about you. When really we're called to live for the pleasures of God. So he uses that word hedon in verse 1. This is the cause of conflicts. It's all about you. You just want your pleasures. You have things that you want. You have desires and expectations. And some of those even sometimes good desires and expectations can become gods. The conflict sometimes is because we've turned that conflict into God. Or that that desire into a God. Look at verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you what? Murder. Now, it's interesting. You see that word lust? That word lust um, is, is the verb form in the Greek that's called epithemio, right? And that word epithemio in the Greek, that's a worship word I tell people. And whenever that word epithemio is used, it, it, depending on the context, it can be a good or a bad thing. Uh, for instance, if you were to read Matthew, you don't have to turn over there, but Matthew thirteen seventeen, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. So Jesus had just said, hey, there's the prophets of old, they, they wish they got to hear and see my ministry, and, and you know, they wish they desired it. And guess what the word he uses right there? Epithemio, right? Um, it's, a, it's a worship word. It's a word that means desire. When it's... It, in the context when it's a good thing, the, it, the Bible usually translates, the translators use the word desire. When that word epithemio is used in a negative way or something bad, they usually use the word lust, right? But the basic di- difference is this. That Greek word epithemio, if the object is good, they usually call it desire. If the object is bad, they typically call it lust. But it can go either or. Now, remember I said the word Christian hedonist a while ago? Remember that? So a Christian hedonist is one who says, my epithemio, my desire, my, I desire God. I desire to please him. Now that is something commendable. Like in Matthew 13, 17, Jesus was saying the prophets, they desire to see, they positively. Now here in the text, in verse 2, he says, you epithemio and do not have so you murder. So he kind of gets to the heart matter. He says, you lust, you don't have, so you murder. And just so you know, if you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and you read Matthew 5, 21 through 23, you know, before any person ever murders, they actually desired to murder. Do you know the most murders, even in the city of Memphis? One time I got to talk to the chief of police in the city of Memphis years ago, and he told me that most of the murders in Memphis are actually more crimes of passion. They're Somebody knew somebody. It's not just random someone walking down the road. There was some kind of interpersonal squabble that happened. And what is that? That's someone's epithemio actually running rampant. It's, it's you actually have this desire to get what you want, and you've made such a god out of it that someone has not done that or gone against it, and thus you murder. That's why sometimes you ever heard people call murder, this is something that happened, in, it was just like a, a crime of passion, just a passion in the moment. You know that when people murder, most of the time when they murder, it's not they ever plan to murder. It's just that they, their desires and affections were made God in that moment. That's actually why people murder. That's why sometimes when people have let anger go, run uncontrolled in Ephesians 4.31, right? When it gets to this idea of bitterness and 
wrathfulness and slander and yelling and maliciousness, what's happened? People have epithemioed this desire in their life and they've made it God and they've made it God for the way people would talk, treat, act and respond to them. So he says in verse 2, you lust, you do not have, so you murder. By the way, this is how far sinful anger can go. When we're worshiping ourselves, when we're epithemioing our own selves, when we're epithemioing the way we, we're making a God out of how we want to be treated, we, it's not too far from us becoming a murderer eventually. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So he says, the problems you're having, the causes, you, it's the heart, and this heart keeps fighting and quarreling. It's making an idol out of things. You do not have because you do not ask. You know what's interesting? Look at the verse 2. People look at this and go, wait a minute. Why is that in there? That sounds weird. He's encouraging them to pray and ask. He's just told them, you basically have sinful lust. You're desiring things. You're making gods of things. And you don't have what you're asking for. But ask. You won't ask. Well, why would he say that? Because look what he says in verse 3. <coughs> you do not have because you do not ask. Which is this idea of there's things that you want, there's things that you're desiring, but you won't even ask for them. You're so prideful, you won't even ask for them. But when you do ask for them in verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That word hedon for pleasures is there again. That idea of, okay, you do ask. So he said, like, you're, you're so prideful, you won't even ask, right? So instead of, hey, someone's doing this evil towards me, instead of actually praying for my enemy, instead of having a posture of kindness, of tenderheartedness, of forgiveness towards them, um, you know, you, you say, okay, Lord, would you, you know, you have enough humility to say, Lord, will you take care of this? Lord, will you help this person pray for your enemies? So he's saying that's a good thing, but he's saying, but, but really, you won't even do that. You're so prideful. You will ask, but when you ask, you're not asking even an Ephesians 4.32 posture. You're asking for God kill them, right? Like God get them. Like God bring them down. That's why he says in verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So verse 1 through 3 has this idea of where does all this come from? All this conflict. It's it comes from the heart, and it comes from a heart that has decided to make the internal desires God. And this is what happens. There's a way we want to be talked to, treated, have. There's expectations in life. And we'll take those sometimes, and we'll make them God in our heart. And we made them God in our heart. And somebody gets in the way of our idol, we freak out. You ever... Has the day ever been going really well with friends or family? And then all of a sudden, it just went really bad. And you're wondering, why did I just say the things I said? Like, like, man, we were on a boat fishing. Like, you know, how could that happen, right? Or maybe we were just driving. It was a nice fall day, and we were just driving along. How did that happen? Well, I'll tell you what happened is that there was an idol of the heart that hadn't been squeezed yet, and you got squeezed. And I say, praise God that that idol got squeezed. That's why when people freak out, and even from my own soul, when there's these freak out moments from my own soul where I start to act in sinful anger towards others, it's, it's an opportunity for repentance. There's an opportunity to go, man, I, there's something there I didn't know. 
there was something, an idol of the heart that I wasn't quite aware of. So we see the source in James 1 through 3 of it. Internal desires um, have caused conflict because those desires have become gods. So as I go to the next thought, I do want to make sure you understand something. Don't think that you can't have desires, right? Like, for instance, don't think that you can't say, well, I really want to be talked respectfully to my, by my coworkers today. Not a bad thing. Don't empty yourself of, of, of biblical expectations. You just can't make biblical expectations so much a God that you're willing to act sinful to get it, right? Now, we'll look next week on what does a godly response look like and what is righteous anger. But this is, we're, today we're looking at the heart, we're looking at the causes. Now go to verse 4 of James. Now let's look at what kind of happens with the, the displeasure of God when we decide to just keep indulging our own sinful, our own sinful thoughts. When we, keep, um, when we decide to massage these idols of the heart. He says in verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. The thought he's trying to get across is the hedonistic pleasures of self-exaltation in verses 1 through 3, the war that's going on. You You have created yourself as an adulteress. You are a friend of the world and not of God. Verse 5, Or do you think that the Scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So he's trying to say that 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 when you decide to worship other things besides him and start to go against him, this brings his displeasure. God does not like it. It's not okay. But then he has a solution in verse 6. In verse 6, the decision of God that he's going to help his people. Look in verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have you ever been caught in sinful anger and exploded and saw it just crumble life around you? That hurts. But I'll tell you, sometimes that's a severe mercy. Sometimes, and, and in that, God will humble you. And, when, and it's not fun to be humbled by God, but that's a wonderful opportunity. And so it says that he will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look in verse 7. Be subject, therefore, to God. Here's God's grace now. You're in the battle. You've made something an idol. You made it God. You made it so much a God that you're willing to act sinful to get it. You're, you're, you're willing to act in sinful anger in Ephesians 4.31. But then he says in verse 7, Be subject therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee, and he will flee from you. So what does God want us to do in those moments? Submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil. Now what's interesting. When there is conflict in our life, we can't negate that the devil had some, that he's circling, that he's circling the block somewhere. We can't go as far as to say the devil made me what? Do it. Can't do that. But we also can't denote that he is uniquely observing us. He cannot make us do something, but he certainly can tempt us. Because when you go over to James chapter 1, you find this. In James 1, it says in verse 14, Each one is tempted when he is carried and enticed by his own what? His own desires, his own lust. Guess what the Greek word there? It's epithemio, right? It's a worship word, his own desires, his own wants. So when we come to God, we're 
So when we realize that, we can realize that it's our own sinful heart that's choosing to walk in the sinful anger. Our own sinful heart is decided to make an idol out of something. And we love that idol so much, we're willing to act sinful to get it. We're able to rage against others or ignore others or be unforgiving towards others. But we also got to realize that Satan is somewhere in that, circling the block, and he is tempting even more. He didn't cause you to sin, but he definitely is tempting. So he, the verse 7, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Just a thing. You know, people sometimes, when they feel like they're being attacked by Satan, they'll say, In the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you. Get away from me. And I would tell you, actually, what you really got to do is look what verse 7 says. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? The devil's not going to run away just because you start saying phrases in the air. Okay? It's cute. It, 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 makes, it makes for a great podcast, right? It makes for a great story. But actually, what we got to do is this. Submit to God. Submit to God's word. Submit to him. Then resist the devil. And it says he'll flee. Now look at verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll, what, what will God do? He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Look at your sin the way God looks at your sin. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Recall to yourself and know that there's this war, this war that's raging. And are you, are we feeding the spirit of God? Are we feeding the flesh and Galatians chapter 6. Don't we see that war that's going on? You're double-minded. So we're submitting ourselves to God in verse 8. We're drawing near to him. We're, he's drawing near to us. We're cleansing our hands. We're looking for indwelling sin in our life. We're purifying. We're, being, we're no longer being double-minded. Verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. We, there, is a, there is a level of repentance in verse 9 where we're taking seriousness, sin, in our life. I am so fearful that we as Christians don't take sin very lightly. And you ever notice this? You ever been around someone who's repenting of sin and we're so uncomfortable with it that you just wanted them to stop? We're so uncomfortable with people actually grieving over genuine grief. I mean, how how many church songs does the church at large typically sing They talk about mourning and misery and crying and gloom being brought to repentance. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So there's this idea of when we've gotten into sinful anger, when when we're in it, we have a choice. At that point, are we going to repent? Are we going to realize the, are we going to start seeing the idols of the heart that are manifesting themselves within Ephesians 4.31 response? And then, in repentance and faith, are we going to say, wait a minute, I'm actually going to do what Ephesians 4.32 says by the Spirit of God. I'm going to practice kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. I'm going to now have a, you know, this earthly disappointment, I'm not make, it's no longer an idol, because instead, my epitome is actually on Jesus, right? He's the treasure. He's the prize. And what happens is, when we do that, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I'm, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you this because this is what I have to do in my own life. I, I'm, we're all together on this thing. I, mean, like I have to fight sinful anger as well. So every time anger wells up and I'm coming to the side of, 
Am I angry about something done to myself? And when that becomes yes, I now start to do some heart looking and going, okay, is there an idol of the heart? Is there something that I have made God away being treated, being talked to, being thought about? Or is there, is there something I have set my heart on that's, that I am willing to act sinful to get it? Lord, take me through James 1, 14. Take me through James 4. Is there this hedonism in my life that I just want Nick's pleasure? And then I start then looking at, Lord, help me to have your pleasure as my goal. Let you to be the prize, you to be the joy. And what happens in the middle of that is I submit to God. I'm resisting the devil. I'm fighting against my sinful nature. I'm fighting in the spirit. That, and then humility starts to come, and then God blesses that, and the fight's going well. So here's some questions to ask ourselves. As we look at the, we looked at the heart of anger leading to the, the cause of anger, here's some questions to ask ourselves. If you're wanting to kind of look in that moment when, man, I'm exploding, I can see it on the inside, here's some questions to ask. Do does, does what I want consume me? Does what I want consume me? I mean, when, I, when, I, when that thing happens and I know I'm angry about something unto me, that's what I'm asking. There, is what I want consuming me? Do I dwell on that thing I want constantly? Either that way I want to be thought about or treated or talked to or have. Am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin to get it? That would be in those times when people have angered me that I have, that would be me using an unbiblical manner in responding to them. And do I sin when I don't get it? When I don't get it. So this is the cause of anger. It's a hard one. It exists. It's there. Now I'll end with this as we're going to, now, in a moment, sing a song to the Lord, and then we'll have other things that we're going to do after that. Go back over to Ephesians 4.32, and I want, to, I want you to see this again. What is normal? Normal is Jesus, right? Normal is Jesus. You ever wondered, are, am I dysfunctional? Yes, we are. There's only one normal person, that was Jesus. And the most normal we'll ever be is when we're like Jesus. And what has Jesus commanded us to do when sinful anger is knocking on our soul, when that idol is being exposed? Here's what God calls us to do in verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. He is the standard. He is the goal. And what I love is this, the more kindness you practice, the more it will attack the depravity of your own soul, because it will not be easy, but that'll be a tender mercy. And the more you decide to start looking at things, this tender heart is looking at it from the perspective of others, you start to have more compassion for them. And the, the whole idea of humility in the scripture is about, it's not about me, it's about others. So when life becomes more about others, man, God starts to... Like, bless that. And then the best thing you can ever do is, is forgive as Jesus has forgiven. That changes everything. You want to know why some of us in here are angry with people in our life still? Because we have not practiced obedience of forgiveness. Man, if, if, 
Man, if we, if we actually practice biblical forgiveness, we probably wouldn't be as upset with our parents. Probably wouldn't be as upset with our sisters, with our brother, with our aunt, with our uncle, with our neighbor, with people in your same church, with people that used to be in your discipleship group. If we actually practice biblical forgiveness, it would change our heart. It would change everything. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know if I can practice biblical forgiveness, my next thing to you would be, have you even been forgiven by Christ? When I became a follower at 16, Jesus forgave my sin. And now based on his work of forgiving me, I can now forgive others freely. Would you stand with me as we have a time of singing back to the Lord? Then we'll close up with a, with a couple things and then go into our time of edifying and meal. Father, we, we need your help. This is such a hard topic to talk about for our souls. Um, in your grace, would you humble us when we have made the idols that have rocked our world into sinful anger? Would you expose them? Would you bring us to repentance? Would you bring us back to you? May we desire you more than anything. Let us be your people. Bless what's going to happen here in the, in the next couple moments as we eat together. We edify each other. We take communion and remember the forgiveness you've extended to us. This remembrance is going to help us. Do it for your glory and God's people said. Amen.